I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Today's episode of Hear That Podcast, Growlin' is presented by Visa Network, working for everyone. Paul Andrew Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletics, still here working for you into February, folks. Normally, we would still be working in February, just not quite this hard. But hard work has never felt so nice. Uh, this is as, as fun as it gets. We are officially covering the Super Bowl as we get into the two-week lead-up to Bengals-Rams Super Bowl 56. Jay, it, it's still weird saying it. I, I, I'm assuming at some point, maybe by, let's see, maybe by next Wednesday, I'll feel just very normal saying Bengals-Rams Super Bowl 56. Maybe. It, it it feels weird saying it. It feels weird hearing it. It it feels weird preparing for it. We we talked about this in Kansas City. It just these games are so huge for the team for the fans, and it it just it it's weird. It just feels like another regular game, and you you understand what's on the line and everything. But it I don't know. Maybe it's because we haven't ever covered this, and you expected it to be different. And it's really not. It's still. It still just feels like a regular game, and and maybe part of that is the the Bengals taking that approach, and that's why they're here because they haven't looked at it as anything special. They've tried to keep that same routine and that same mindset, and it is it's it is is very strange. And we we joke all the time about wanting to put off mock draft season for as long as possible, and it's, it's one of those well, careful what you wish for because we have put it <laughs> off as long as humanly possible and uh it's 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 nonstop now it's it's amazing to 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 be this deep in in february still doing daily stuff instead of looking ahead at who what offensive lineman can they take what offensive lineman can they get in free agency it's it's just a new world it's it's different but it's fun better get used to it yeah, <laughs> I think our world is going to be full of uh, very busy Januarys <laughs> for a while. You know, you you mentioned that I, I think from the outside, um, at, whether growing up, uh, just as a fan of a team or covering a team that hasn't ever advanced this far before, um, you wonder how teams handle the the enormity of the moment. And I think being inside of it now a little bit more on a work basis. I think it's really easy to understand how you just feels like every other game in a lot of ways because of exactly what you said. There's just a routine nature. You're still doing the same things you do every week. It's just outside. 
there's a lot more people paying attention. There's a lot more people talking about it. There's a lot more stuff. But if you're just buried in what you do and your routine, it does feel very normal. And I totally understand how guys do stay pretty level-headed despite the enormity of these big moments uh, because there is. There's just – you just lock in your routine and focus. And I think that's what makes the Super Bowl harder for a number of reasons is you are out of your routine. You are. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in, in Los Angeles for a week. You have a two-week thing and you're trying to reset the schedule and there's a million media obligations that are a part of it and – it, it does it does throw you off and then you and then you the enormity of that of how many people you hear from and 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 you know the super bowl and how many people are going to be watching that uh you know you've seen over the years it gets to people um i don't think it will get to the quarterback and consequently that typically filters down throughout this team but it has gotten to people in, in the past, and it'll be a, a topic that we'll be visiting over the course of the next couple of weeks. We have other topics to visit, though, today. I mean, we've got two weeks to get into all the details of that. I think there's still – typically, we we've, we flip forward pretty quickly on the Tuesday podcast, but I don't know that we're going to totally go there yet. It's just – We've got a plenty of time to talk about the Super Bowl game, and we will. We're going to get to Bengals, Rams, and, and a little first look here towards the end of the podcast after we talk to Moegger from ESPN 1530, um, who tweeted about uh, two, two tweets that I thought just were the ultimate emotional roller coaster of showing how Bengals fans felt towards the end of that game. Uh, we'll talk to him about a lot of, a lot of topics there. But I, I, I don't want to just move on from Sunday. It was, you know, it's just something that live in the moment and embrace it. We've got news to get to, but I want to talk about our favorite pieces of content that we've seen come out, whether it's just, you know, fan videos, bar videos, uh, player videos from the field. You, you've seen so many of these are out there everywhere, and we've all got our favorites. I've got a few favorite things that have come out of this as well uh, that I want to talk about. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how the heck did they do that to Patrick Mahomes? Um, we discussed it a little bit in the walkout, but I think you know, having talked to more people now, we can go a little bit more into the specifics of that and uh, and how how they how they pulled that off defensively. So a lot to get to. Let's start. Let's blow through some news here real quick. Uh, CJ Uzama, uh, who went out of the game, has an MCL sprain. Zach Taylor called it quote encouraging. Uh, so he's got a shot to play in the Super Bowl uh, if he he can get back. And we'll see. The funny thing is Tyler Higby. Rams tight end has the exact same diagnosis. He has an MCL sprain. He is possibly going to be able to play in the Super Bowl. So both teams' tight ends have the exact same injury with kind of the same diagnosis. Maybe they'll be able to play through it. So a bit of a wash there, I guess, if you're looking at it uh, that way. Um, We are going to get a little bit of the logistics of the next couple of weeks said. The Bengals are going to go out early. We know all their practices are going to be held out in L.A. They are going to... Try you know, the league had to officially get that they had a meeting about it last night to get everything settled down. Um, the exact I don't know the exact day they're going out there, but they're going to spend the majority of the week out in L.A. Whereas a lot of it's set up where teams just go out on on Thursday and do it like a long weekend. But the Bengals want to get out there, get in the warm weather, not be practicing in an ice storm, snowy outdoor no indoor it's get out to la be in la be used to it do your practice week out there and it looks like that's going to be uh their setup um it then 
the, Zach Taylor talked about the, the kind of the party that went on uh, on the way home. There's his neighbors were waiting for him on the front lawn mm-hmm. at one a.m. He put it out. He had not had a lot of sleep. Uh, pretty good. He dropped, he dropped a game ball out in Mount Healthy uh, at game time. Apparently had a good time out there too. So sounds like uh, it was it was quite an enjoyable experience getting back into town. He can get a a endorsement from what whatever Windows company uh, put the installed the windows on his house because he said his kids were upstairs sleeping, but yet there were people partying on the lawn. I don't know how the kids <laughs> slept through that, and maybe it was a calm, quiet party. But I kind of doubt it. If you, go, if you if they're waiting for you to get home, I'm sure there was a roar when when he finally did pull up. And it is it's cool to see just the the, the people that are close to the family and then people that are just fans, just the way that everybody has embraced this run and is having so much fun with it. Uh, Cincinnati public schools getting in on it and they have declared the Monday after the Super Bowl is going to be an off day, which sounds like a really fun way to try to be cool and show you support the Bengals until you realize like parents are like, are you kidding me? The last thing that I want to do when I am not feeling uh, so great hungover from the Bengals being in the Super Bowl is know that I can't ship my kids off to school <laughs> and I have to like sit here and like manage the ship for a day. Uh, I'm like, come on, man. You should, it should be the opposite. You should keep them longer. You should be like, we're going to let you drop your kids off earlier and we'll keep them later. <laughs> I'm mad about this too because I, I was a freshman in high school when they went in 1981 and we flew up day of the game to Detroit and then flew back that night and I got home about 2 a.m. crestfallen that they had lost the Super Bowl and my mom still made me go to school the next day. I mean, if any if anybody deserved a, a day off, I think I should have got a day off that day and now they're going to give the entire district the day off. To, it's just, it, it blows my mind, but... I don't know. Maybe maybe teachers and administrators are just like the rest of us. And if, if you can do anything to get a day off, you'll do it. Yeah. Good for the teachers. They deserve it. They've been through a lot. All right. Let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I want to just talk about some of the favorite pieces of content that are out there. React some of the best reactions. It's like there's so much to talk about the game and, and and break down the X's and those, and that's fun. But like, really, I think the most interesting, fun aspect about this has been watching the stuff that you see coming out of it. And there, there's some funny, some that are great. We, we can just we can ping pong back and forth here, Jay, and start with a few. 
I want to start with every single video on players' Instagrams from the flight. I love <laughs> the idea of the flight home after winning a championship, uh, in this case, the AFC championship. And there's actually my favorite book, my favorite sports book of all time is called The Bad Guys Won by Jeff Perlman. And it is about the 86 Mets who were the bad, were bad guys in a lot of ways. And they partied hard. And it's all about this behind the scenes of that team. It opens with the flight back from them winning the National League Championship Series. And it's one of the best describing the total debauchery that happened on that plane flight back. And all I could reflect back was on that as I watched videos of just the absurdity. You can't do these things on a plane, can you? Right? It was just people up dancing and everybody's got drinks. I saw cigars. Can you smoke in the plane? And like it is just a total madhouse and I'm just thinking, what a great scene. Like if you're a prof- if you're an athlete, you have sacrificed so much to be like on a team to to play to, at this level, the amount of work you put in, the time effort. I mean, that will be the memory. I mean, I think for players, that will be uh, – sure, you'll remember things about the game, but like things like the flight back uh, from Kansas City will be the one that sticks with you to the end of, end of days. That's kind of – that's the hidden advantage. I mean, not advantage, but the, the hidden bright side because you do. You want to play that AFC championship game at home in front of your fans on your field and all that, but this is – this is that reward for winning it on the road to be able to do something like that because it's not going out and, and I mean, I know they love their families and everything, but th- it's, it's kind of an overused cliche, but the team is the family. And just to have that, whatever that is, two, two and a half hours of a flight where it's just you in that, in, in that small little tube of a plane and you get to celebrate with the, the people that you've, bled with and sweated with this entire season i i i I have not watched those videos i had my own i had a not a fun day monday trying to get to mobile alabama a five-hour layover and i was meandering around the the atlanta airport trying to find a good place to work that wasn't crowded that had food that i liked and i ended up going concourse to concourse. I spent way too much time scouting out a spot to write my final thoughts. So I haven't, I I'm going to check out those videos when we get off of this show, because it it does sound amazing to watch. Jay, what do you got? What's some of your favorite? Well, one of my favorites, and it's more of the, the emotional side as opposed to those are my favorites, and that's why I asked after the the Raiders game everybody to send the the videos because I knew we would get a cross section of cheering and crying. Um, and, and Channel Five tweeted this one out as a, a police officer in Milwaukee uh, who was wounded, and um, he's been a Bengals fan his whole life, and he just breaks down and cries after they win, and and now they're they're trying to start a fund to to get this guy to go to the Super Bowl, which I mean the. the I've known this forever, but it's just now it kind of sinks in with the Bengals in and you're looking at it. The prices for the tickets to this game are just unreal. But those are the ones I like. And then my, you know, my friends, people that I know scrolling through Facebook and seeing how everybody's got a phone now. So everybody's taking video, whether it's someone taking it of their, their husband or their wife or whatever, or someone just putting the phone on a tripod or standing it up near the TV and getting the reaction in the entire room and just, seeing people you know 
jump around and cheer and cry. And, you know, you mentioned it. We just, we get so in depth on, on the job part of it. And, and you just forget how much the, the team and the, the game and the success means to people who have, who've just been waiting so long for this. So I just, I love seeing the, the reactions of, of people that I know and I can kind of relate to their, what they're going through. Yeah. I mean, there was a couple of those. There's a great one um, that uh, actually, I think, I think Mo retweeted this um, and it was, his name's Adam Wilson. He has ALS and he's his, with his daughter is, is hugging him and, and saying that you know he was he was six years old uh, when when the last time he went Super Bowl and to be able to share this with his daughter when you're fighting this awful awful disease um, and he has this huge smile on his face as his daughter's hugging him and it's just awesome stuff awesome stuff and it's like you know there's stories like that uh, everywhere um, there's a, another one of there's this this older man grand grandfather who's just crying in his recliner and so his wife wife whoever taking the video uh just watching him just like just be in, in bawling as he sits there with a blanket over him on his recliner watching the TV you know and it's like it's just cool the way this has emotionally taken over people which is always is fun to me because it's like we just get so used to the emotion associated with this team being hostility yeah. <laughs> over the years. Like it's just that's the emotion that they have evoked most often since I've been covering this team. And you see now it's the hostility is from this place because these are the moments that they want and uh, and that they're getting them. It's It's been very cool to watch. And that hostility was still there. I, I mean, there was people were irate with the, the play calling in that game when they fell behind the Chiefs, twenty-one to three. And and I I am convinced that if they lose the Super Bowl, it will not be very long after that there will be some fire Zach tweets. It's just <laughs> it's the it's just so irrational. And and, and I, I don't know. Maybe some people still believe they're winning in spite of him, which is crazy. He is he's the architect of this this whole culture. Um, but it is. It's it's because the, the old line we kid because we care. Well, we curse because we care. That's the way people are. They just <laughs> they get so in, invested and they just need to vent when things go wrong and they need to explode when they go right. Uh, from a, another one from a player side. Well, I, first of all, I loved the locker room of special teams shots. I forget whose Instagram it was. It might have been Mike Mike Thomas, the safety. I'm not sure. Who's appears to be yelling? I'm assuming at Darren Simmons. You've been pushing us and yelling at us all year, and you were right. And then let's do a shot. And they've all they're all holding their shots in the locker room and getting ready to uh, to do shots. I loved I loved special teams shots on the on the uh, the Instagram story there. Another one. It was there's a photo and of the Bengals tweet actually tweet out this video. It was it's Clyde Edwards Hilaire, teammates of Jamar Chase, of course, at LSU with Chase, and he appears to be right in his in his face, kind of tapping him on the chest, telling him something either inspirational or how he earned it or whatever it is. And Chase is is in tears. He's he's you know, Jamar has been an instrument. He's kind of been too cool for school since he got here. And I mean that in a, in a nice way, not a bad way. Like mm -hmm. he's just, he's very cool. He's fun. He very much feels like all I do is win. Like this is just kind of whatever. And I'm just being a star because I'm a star. And, and 
and I'm not going to say he's felt unaffected by it, but certainly not anywhere near the level of players that have been around here longer. I mean, he's a rookie. In the last thing he last season he played at LSU, he won a national championship. Like it's just kind of feels like it, I think it's almost felt natural to see, you know, the the effect that it was having on that guy who's kind of put off the the alternate persona the entire time um was was it was a pretty cool and that was that was one of my uh, more favorite pieces of content to come out of Sunday. Yeah, and I think that's it's one of those things where it what we were talking about where it just feels routine and everything is the same and that when you see the stage being wheeled out and when you have guys that have been there before congratulating you it's it just it, eventually it's going to hit you the 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 moment it's it's going to quit feeling normal and I think that's what happened for Jamar is it all just kind of sunk in and, and maybe it was seeing his teammates jumping around and celebrating and going wild. The yes, they, they stormed off the sidelines after the Tennessee win, but this was, this was a totally different celebration. And I, I think it, it does kind of, no matter how cool and reserved you are about success, it, it has to hit you at some point. And, and when, when it does, I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes into this and, you you wouldn't be human if the emotion didn't come out at some point. Jay, you mentioned this in the walkout, but I wanted to take it a step further. <laughs> you talk about, you know, it's always like the chaos and the absurdity of big moments is always what gets me when I look back on it. There's a lot of these videos out there. Icky Woods just going around hugging everyone <laughs> and the players not really quite knowing who this crazy man is with a giant bee in a bag. <laughs> Uh, hanging around his neck is like hilarious. I mean, he, he does it to Burrow. There's one with Higgins, and like I think they know uh, he Burrow did because he then kind of half hit a shuffle, like he was about yeah. ready to do a shuffle. But some of the players and the ones you see, it's just like they're all sort of like, wow, that that crazy man just gave me a big hug. And I, <laughs> you know it was Icky, but how much do they really know about Icky Woods? Like he's such. I think someone in the press box. I think Albert Breer did, who we were sitting next to as we were watching. He said, oh, so Icky Woods is the Bengals' victory cigar. He kind of is. What a great victory cigar Icky Woods is. He's just a total character, and he's just a, a total like wild card. And you really need a wild card in those chaos situations, and the Bengals definitely have one in Icky. And it's funny because even if they didn't know who Icky Woods was, all they needed to know was he's the man that handed the trophy to Mike Brown to know yeah. that he he is significant and he is. So I, but it is it is I like the idea of people like who is this guy hugging me? I know he he means something because he was on that stage. Um, but yeah, there we we talked. They this team didn't care about the losing streak because it was so far in the past. Well, it's the same thing with Icky. His he was part of the, the last team that was really, really good. It's so far in the past. These guys don't they, don't, they don't, I mean, unless it was someone like Sam Hubbard or Kevin Huber that grew up in Cincinnati, they don't study the history of the franchise and even know the, a lot of the great players from 30 years ago. So I, I do think some of them might've known who he was, but others just knew he had some connection because he was the one that had the trophy then gave it to Mike. I have only one question and if you are out there listening to this and you know the answer or you have I maybe I need to get Icky on just to ask him this. Why is the bee in a bag? Why doesn't <laughs> is it, are, is he going to return it? Is it is it going to go back to the whatever bee store he bought this giant chain thing from? Like why take it out of the bag, Ick. 
let's 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 bring it out. Like own it. It's here for this moment. It could it could be in the Hall of Fame at this point. Here's the giant weird B this man wore that gave to Mike Brown when he went to the Super Bowl. Send it to Canton. Get it out of the bag. I don't. I, I I'm just. I'm really curious as to why it's in a bag. It just bothers me. I don't know why. I, I am too. And I, when we were in Nashville, um, a guy came into a bar wearing that same thing and it didn't have a bag. So I was like, okay, so it is something that just Icky is doing. And I don't know if it goes back. Oh, was it the nineties? There was that, that fad where people didn't take the tags off of their hats or the, oh, the, the stickers. It. <laughs> so I don't know if that's part of it, but it is, it's really weird. Maybe, maybe he's afraid of getting drinks spilled on it. I, I have no idea, but it, it that, that's, I thought the same thing the first time I saw it. When did he, oh, was it when he did the shuffle? When he was did that the shuffle, the, he was the ruler of the jungle. Yes. The playoff game. Yep. Same thing, still in a bag, yet right. to take it out of the bag a month later. I don't know. Well, I the just, bag is I, undefeated. I, 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 the bag, maybe that's part of it. Is it, like, is it like your grandma's couch that had the cover on it and you weren't allowed to sit on it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what? It's just for show. I don't, I just, I'm so confused by this. All right. Those are some of my uh, favorite pieces of content. Do you have any more that you wanted to get, make sure we talked about? Uh, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to going and watching some of these because I have been slow in doing that. Well, you having to travel, you're heading to Mobile, and you're you're down there now, along with a lot of the the, the personnel staff uh, covering a lot of stuff that's going on down there uh, in Mobile. So it's uh, it's it's been a hectic few days, certainly, as everybody's tried to get back to Kansas City and acclimate to what's coming next for the Super Bowl. Let's let's dive back one more time into really um, the most interesting on-field aspect of this game, I think, and that was how the hell did Lou Anarumo do this? How did Lou Anarumo in this defense flip the script again from a first half that Kansas City looked unstoppable to a second half where they shut him down to a level that nobody ever has? It's similar to the first game. You know, there's a lot of breaking down of the X's and O's that goes on. A lot of you guys have probably seen that content. In case you haven't, you know, it, you know, the basis of it was what? It was dropping eight. It was rushing three, dropping eight, and but it was finding ways to get into the zones underneath to keep Patrick Mahomes from doing what he normally does when people drop a bunch of coverage and he sits there. He'll just be, he's just been picking people apart underneath on those crossers or whatever, or and then peeking back at the second level for the, the, the deeper over routes for the Tyreek Hills and things of the world. Well, the Bengals dropped into those spots and hoped that eventually three would get there or understood that you're totally off rhythm if he's just running around, which he ended up having to do multiple times. And it it just rattled him and got him totally discombobulated back there. But it, it was a plan that, Jay, you had the stats on it in Final Thoughts on how effective dropping eight was the entire game, not just in the second half. They they got him a few times in the first half. People said, man, they got to get out of that Russian three thing. Well, no, they didn't. It ended up being the secret to their success. Yeah, it. I wonder if it was kind of, the first game when Lou talked about you had to wait till the right moment to pull out the zero blitz against Patrick Mahomes. I, I wonder if it was the plan all along to, to flip that at halftime or if it was a product of they're getting their butts beat and they got to try something and, and just go to that, go to that way more. And it was, you talked about getting in the zones underneath and 
you know, part of it was you, you worry two things. One, that those receivers are so good, and the last thing you want to do is give Patrick Mahomes more time because eventually someone's going to come open, he's going to find him, and if not, he can tuck the ball and run. We saw him have 69 yards against the Bills uh, d- doing that when plays broke down and the, the middle of the field was open. So it wasn't just dropping eight. It was it was more dropping seven and then keeping a spy, and it was, it was Logan Wilson or it was Sam Hubbard and just – I mean, great instincts by Sam to, you know, he, there's the, I think it's the second of his two sacks at the end there when the, the Chiefs had first and goal. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And then at some point you have to say, screw it and, and just rush in. And he came from way back and just straight line, beelined right from Mahomes and got him down for back to back sacks. It was, it was, I, we're going to talk to Lou later today. I, I, I asked Zach about it after the game and he didn't really, he, he talked about, why they did it, but he didn't really address whether that was the grand plan all along to hit them with that more in the second half, or if it was kind of out of necessity. But it was it was effective. I mean, you mentioned the stats I had for final thoughts that the, the Bengals held the Chiefs to two point four two yards per play in the second half. That was their their lowest second half number of the Mahomes era by almost a full yard. Three point two three was the previous low. They held them to eighty three yards. That was the fewest this season, second fewest of the Mahomes era. The four sacks are tied for the most in the Mahomes era, and they only gave up six first downs, which was one shy of the fewest in the Mahomes era. It was just – it was remarkable. I mean, touchdown, 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 first three drives, and not another touchdown after that. Eight straight drives without giving up a touchdown. The Bengals have defensively value – you know, this is a, this is very much a Patriots – philosophy of valuing versatility in their players. We've talked a lot about this this year, but it really has showed up the last couple of weeks where they have had two very different types of offenses they've needed to stop and use a lot of the same pieces to do so. Power running, power shove it down your throat, Tennessee, right? You know, they could still use Mike Hilton to come up and make plays because he can blitz. And then the next week, you're using him so much in coverage because he's still a great slot cover corner. Guys like Hubbard can be a great part of your your run defense and lined up on the line and, and get in there. And then there he is dropping back into coverage and sprinting forward to come ahead. Three safeties who are very versatile. Von Bell can come up in the box. He lived up in the box last week. Here he is today roaming back in the back along with Jesse Bates making the critical interception and plays in coverage. Trey Flowers, his height, his size, could come in and and cover a tight end, even though he's kind of a corner guy. I mean, you name it, and you go throughout who they have. And DJ Reader, even, who you would think would be more of a, oh, yeah, you know, he's just a run stuffer. He's not. He's he, He has wiggle as a pass rusher. You can leave him in there, and he can get pass rush, and he can push the pocket, and he did on a number of times against the Chiefs. So many of these players that are versatile pieces allow you to play two just insanely different game plans week to week and do it effectively against Tennessee and against the Chiefs. They don't get more different than that, and I think that's where you credit the personnel staff, Luana Rumo, Zach Taylor, for having the vision of of understanding that's going to be so critical in what they need uh, when they built this defense. And now – this for the the Rams game, it, it's it's going to be similar. I mean, it Matthew Stafford is not Patrick Mahomes, but it's going to be a, a similar game 
or a game plan because you're not game plan. I'm sorry. I, I mean, the attack of the Rams, you have a, an elite receiver in Cooper Cup. He's different than Tyreek Hill, but he's the guy that you have to shut down. It's it's not going to be the the power run. The, the Rams have really struggled to run the ball, and it's that's it's not going to. They're not going to need to have the attack, the defense that they had against the Titans. This is going to be almost more of a benefit where you just get see two similar teams back to back, and it will be interesting. There, you gotta you have to come up with something unique and new, and and Lou has been really good at that. And it's still uh, sitting here in Mobile. It still amazes me that this time last year, talking to him about um, Zach having faith and and agreeing to keep him one more year, and now he's got his defense in the Super Bowl and is getting head coach interviews. Yeah, I mean the the rise of Lou Anarumo and 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 what he did, you know, and that. But that that was just it. This time last year, we talked about why are they keeping Lou. Why are they keeping this guy whose defense has not been good? And the the answer from Mike Brown to Duke Tobin to Zach Taylor on down the line was the same. It was, this was not about coaching. This was about players. You can't wipe out an entire defensive line due to injury and be picking guys off the street that are all playing at every spot and think that all of a sudden that your defense is going to be any good. The, the health and level of play from the defensive line this year is the difference. They they never saw it as a culture or a scheme issue from Luana Rumo. They viewed it as it was just kind of just got hosed by bad luck. And they bet on that. And that bet proved correct, like every bet that this Bengals front office made this past offseason. And so... I, I I think that's more part of it is just, you know, when, when Ogunjobi was healthy, Reader, Hendrickson, Hubbard, B.J. Hill, really that's the big difference. Um, and the, and being in this, being in this scheme again for a, for a third season uh, has been a big part of the difference too. And free agency, just going and oh, getting yeah. all these pieces where they two years in a row – they realized, like you said, you're pulling guys off the street. You can't coach a defense with with the personnel they had. And they said, okay, we're going to give you the pieces and you prove yourself. And he has. He absolutely has. And the other part of that was we've talked about how they had to transform the roster and kind of flesh out the old Marvin Lewis veterans. And so many of those guys were on the the defensive side of things. So it wasn't just the injuries. It was it was the turnover of, of moving on from guys, Carlos Dunlap, Sean Williams, it, there was just a lot of things that went into the, those two really bad years in the six twenty five and one run, and I, I mean, Lou is he's taken it. He he has taken the criticism. There there have been some tough questions in, in the Monday coordinator interviews we've had with him, and and he just he stayed committed to his plan and his vision. And um, you know, you, you're happy to see some uh, that that stick to itiveness pay off for a guy like that. And he's a guy who did it the hard way, man. Like, like so much of this staff came in, people were saying, who are these guys? I mean, mm-hmm. I- I'm on the flight, just kind of listening to some of the national conversation around the Bengals to get a feel for what people are saying. I'm listening to a show, and they don't even know how to, they're like, I don't even know how to pronounce, who's this? how do we pronounce this guy's name, <laughs> right? I mean, it's <laughs> a remarkable, you know, the anonymity with which 
They've gotten through this whole season and now playing in the Super Bowl. And it's not just him, but the entire defense uh, who's all, always been overshadowed. I mean, we've talked about it. You've listened to this show. I mean, we joke about how sometimes we get 45 minutes in and we haven't even mentioned a single thing about the defense over and over mm-hmm. again just because you spend so much time on Burrow and Chase and play calling and everything else. But it's this is somebody who never was a coordinator, just kind of grinded his way up through the ranks and finally getting his shot, got two years of having to play with bad personnel some due to injuries, some due to bad decision-making and learning who they had and all that stuff. And basically, let's be honest, Lou Anarumo, chance of being a coordinator or more for any time in the rest of his life came down to one season. He had one year. He had this year mm-hmm. with with real guys to go and prove that he can do it. And he's done it in a huge way, and he's set himself up to be, uh, you know, to be a coordinator here for probably a long while, as long as Zach's here, um, and maybe more. I mean, I'm trying to remember. I think wasn't he the one that he was the last one they hired, where he he was meeting his oh, fellow yeah. coaches at the combine because they were so far behind after. Close. Yeah, there were other position coaches are part of that. I don't yeah. know if he was the one doing that, but other position coaches were doing that. I mean, he was that. I mean, Todd Grantham was who it was supposed to be. They brought him in, mm-hmm. and it felt like Lou Anarumo was the afterthought, of course. And, um, and he was uh, kind of. I mean, he, I think he was always kind of there as an option as they explored what other options would be. And but it doesn't matter. It's it's the same way in Indy. They've talked about Frank Reich, right? He was the he was an afterthought after Josh McDaniels mm-hmm. dumped on him, and it proved that to be a the best thing ever. You don't. There's so many qualified candidates and people that can put the right chemistry and magic together, um, in the right place. That you know, it doesn't. It doesn't matter how the, what the process was. You know, it just matters what you do when you get there. And and uh, Lou has certainly done it. And he's about to get his uh, about to get his glow up big time for the next two weeks, yeah. uh, as people will definitely know how to pronounce his name on Super Bowl Sunday. All right, let's just take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's uh, let's get more into you you guys, the fans, those of you that are listening to this podcast and what this has meant because that's so much a part of what this run has been and there's no better way to do that than to bring in our good friend from ESPN 1530, Mo Egger. We, we've brought Mo Egger from ESPN 1530 onto this podcast a lot over the course of uh, the year and some of the days let's be honest you've listened we stretch we're grasping for straws on some of the, and we, we talk about a lot of weird stuff and I enjoy that not today <laughs> not today <Mo. laughs> we're not we're not grasping for anything today we kind of been knocked over the the head with a two by four uh with with what's going on today how are how are you wonderful guys how are you it's fun. 
we we're, we're we're doing good. Uh, I we're not even gonna we're not gonna count your tweets. We're not. Gonna <laughs> I, 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 we're just gonna start here. I have a play in two parts for you. Mm -hmm. uh, off your Twitter timeline, which I just particularly enjoyed them reading them right next to each other. One at five fifty six p.m. on Sunday. I'm going <laughs> to vomit. And then another one at 6.23 p.m. Sunday. This is one of the happiest moments of my <laughs> life. Go crazy, Cincinnati. Talk about puke and rally. I mean, you, were, you oh. went from, the, you know, the lowest to the highest. What what was that uh, emotional realm uh, like watching the last half hour of that game for you? I kept saying to myself, I'm a 44-year-old man. I have responsibilities, a child at home. I have a wife. Uh, I'm not supposed to be physically shaking and ill because <laughs> the outcome of a sporting event is in doubt. That's that's not where I'm supposed to be. And um, so really quickly, just to set it up, you know, I was in Greenville, North Carolina <laughs> when the game kicked off and I watched almost the entire game. I had a chance uh TV on the bus, Wi-Fi in the plane to, to aside from basically uh, the stretch of time that I drove from the airport to a bar as close as I could get from the airport. I missed like five minutes of, of game action. So, so I show up and I don't really acknowledge anybody. I, I had two friends who were there with a whole bunch of other people and they were sort of in a crowd of people. And I'm like, I'll say hi to you guys later. So I'm like standing sort of by myself and I'm watching all these other people who are functioning like they're watching a preseason game. And <laughs> I mean, they're, they're like laughing and having a good time. One guy like wants to start talking about the Bearcat game with me. And I, I mean, I, I feel bad because I just looked at him and I just gave him like this piercing look like <laughs> what? Uh, and so, and meanwhile, my phone's blowing up. And I took a quick glance at Twitter and I'm like, how are, how are you people sending tweets and texts and whatever? And so I had this just like sensation as Kansas city uh, got the ball down 24, 21, where I couldn't even have the internal debate between let them score. Don't let them score. And then another guy's trying to like get into that with me. Like, well, do, do you let them score here? And I'm like, huh? I, I mean, I, I was jello. I couldn't function. So I figured I would capture the moment by just because I felt like everybody could relate to it. At least those of us who weren't having a good old time, like we're watching a game on a Saturday night in August. Uh, I felt like vomiting there. The anxiety and the stress were such that it wasn't they're going to lose this game. It wasn't the worst outcome is going to happen. It was just this tense anxiety. So you start with that and then it, that never subsided until the ball went through uh, the goalposts in overtime. Uh, and then as it did everywhere, uh, chaos ensued and the, the <laughs> feeling was bizarre. <laughs> I mean, it was, um, it, it, it just, it was just, it was so bizarre. Like I'm sure every other fan, your phone blew up and I'm watching. I hugged some strange lady. Uh, <laughs> I finally saw my friends. I hugged them. Uh, I, then I just sort of, I, I, I just, you know, watch those college football games. There's always a fan in the stands like doing this. I just surrender like, Cobra. 
Yes. Yeah. I just, I, I <laughs> my hands in the back of my head, I'm, I'm sort of like watching the celebration in Kansas city. I'm watching all these people. I'm getting texts from my friends. Uh, my, my buddy, Barry, who uh, you guys know, who works in the ticket office calls and, and he's like, his voice is trembling. Um, uh, people that I haven't talked to since junior high school found my number and are texting me. So it, it was just this moment of unadulterated happiness. Uh, and then in the middle of all of it, I look up and there's Mike Brown being handed the AFC. And I kind of like forgot he was the owner of the team. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, yes, that's right. That's that's what this moment was is going to lead to. Mike Brown and his coat that I think he might have borrowed from Lamar Hunt. Uh <laughs> Uh, getting handed the trophy and the bar cheered. I'm like, yeah. where, where, where bizarro world are we in? And so all of this happening and all of this unfolding and seeing the scenes uh, that CBS showed from MLTs and the girl taking the drink to the face, <laughs> which I've, I've heard from her because we've, we've talked about her a lot on the air. Yeah. It, it, it just, there was this just sense of, you know, satisfaction and happiness. And I, I thought about my, my dad and going to all those games that we walked into the, either Riverfront stadium or Paul Brown and said, we have no chance of winning this game today. So let's just go have fun. You know, that sort of thing. And now they're playing in the damn Super Bowl. It just, and, and I'm sure almost every fan can relate to this. There was just this onslaught of emotion that kind of paralyzed me. And I got just such a kick out of watching all these strangers, um, many of whom were inebriated watching them all just have a good time and getting texts from people that were just so happy. And that brought me an immense amount of joy that uh, I can only imagine uh, what it would feel like if, if we doubled upon it in two weeks. I mean, that's, that's the payoff. I mean, what you described there is example a of why I refuse to go out to bars to watch big games because it's <laughs> people talking about and, and even parties, even going to someone's house and there's conversations about their jobs and about their pets oh, and oh, anything yeah. but the game. But you get that payoff at the end where you do get to, if, if, if you're just going, to, if you have a root, don't have a rooting interest like me in the Super Bowl Many times you just want to see a good game. Yeah. But if you are a fan of the team and you get that payoff to celebrate, with everybody else, I, I, I think maybe that that outweighs the annoying conversations during the game. I, I was I was with you. I I was stunned with the the number of people, and I, I think they even mentioned it on the broadcast. Where where do you let the Bengals score? Yeah, I like, no, no. It's, if, if if it's tied, maybe. But if, yes. if you have the lead. There's no way you give up a game-winning touchdown when you when you, your defense has been playing as well as it has, and you have hope still that you can hold them to a field goal. I was just I was stunned by how many people were one broaching the subject and two endorsing it. Yeah, I was, uh, and it, it gives me a weird amount of respect for these coaches who are affected by this a hell of a lot more than I am, and and they're actually thinking these scenarios through because I couldn't. I mean, I, I, I couldn't, you could have asked me what my phone number was and I, I don't think I would have been able to tell you. So, but it was interesting, um, kind of after the fact when I, I again, I looked at my phone and, and friends of mine were like, let him score, let him score. Don't let him score. And then I recalled the one guy sort of trying to engage me. And I'm sure this guy thinks I'm the biggest idiot ever. Cause I just, I literally just looked at him like, what? 
uh, let them score, huh? Um, but no, you're winning the game. Hold them to a field goal. And I think I might have mumbled that. I don't know. Um, especially when you ran out of timeouts. No, I, 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 it, it, I don't want to say it never occurred to me because so many people were bringing it up. But the, the, the play there was exactly how the Bengals played it. They Kansas City didn't have first and goal from the one. They had some room to operate, which means you had some room to operate. And so hold them to a field goal. And don't give them the lead. If you give them the lead, you're down by four points. You're on the road. The crowd noise is going to be insane. Uh, you're, you know, at that point, they had run out of timeouts. I know you could have let them score before you burn the timeouts. No, no, no. There, there's so many different things that can happen. You're winning the game, and your defense had played just lights out in the second half. They played it exactly the way it should have been played. I'm not sure I could say the same uh, for Andy Reid at the end of either halves. But, uh, yeah, I, I the whole uh, – let them score thing. And you talked about watching games at bars. I'm usually for big games, pretty selective about where I will go and who I will be with. This was just a matter of, I need to get to a television. Hmm. I, 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 nothing, nothing against Dan and lap. I didn't want to be in the car uh, driving on the Brent Spence bridge uh, back to my house. <laughs> the moment that the Bengals wrapped up a Super Bowl birth. So this was, what's the closest place. I knew some people who were there, uh, but what's the closest place that I can get to? And I got there. And so all they needed were TVs. The, the rest of the environment didn't matter. But yeah, there. in fact, there was this one guy in the middle of just the sort of all hell breaking loose sort of sidles up to me and goes, I think we're going to have baseball. So oh <laughs> it's just, it's interesting where people's heads are in moments like that. And I, again, I just sort of looked at him like, what's baseball? I, who? Why are you here? So, <laughs> well, you know what? The, it was something that you mentioned um, in the beginning, and that I found to be really interesting, and I've heard from you know followers, listeners, readers uh, about this aspect that I guess, I guess, just never occurred to me until it started happening. And, and granted, anything big happens with the Bengals. I usually hear from a lot of people because people know I cover it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just want to know what's going on, but. Mm-hmm the amount of people who I have not heard from in forever. And, you know, people were telling me it was crazy. I ended up having an hour long conversation with someone I hadn't talked to since high school. It was great. And we're going to have lunch now. And it's like, you know, the amount of bringing together that this does, not just for people that you see regularly and that are part of your circle of friends or whatever, but just of everyone, including people that you haven't talked to that live across the country that just think of you when they see this team is really insane. And it really is like the power of sports moment yeah, uh, to be so much more. And that's why I think I've liked watching the reactionary content that has come out of Sunday's game, probably more than I've liked any rewatching or analysis of the actual game that's happened, because that's where you've kind of seen really in the flesh more so than I've ever seen in this city, the true power of sports moment. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, we were, you guys cover it. I talk about it. We all have a deep affection for, the the ins and outs of how results are achieved the x's and o's the strategies and all that stuff and in moments like that it seems sort of pointless to talk about i mean i just <laughs> when i when i remember sunday night um i'm i don't know that i'm going to remember you know 
what BJ Hill did to pull off the play that for my money changed the game. And, and, and I, I don't know that I'll do a very heavy dive into how the Bengals stopped an offense that in the first half looked like a, like a very well-oiled machine. I'm going to remember just people being happy, man. And there's just, there's not enough of that. Uh, people just being happy. And and you're right. I mean, I, I, I heard from a friend of my mom's that I used to have a huge crush on when I was a kid and I got a text from her and then I, I had to go sort of look her up to see if I would still have a crush on her. <laughs> <laughs> but she sent me a text, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the 12 year old of me thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, it just, it brought people together and it, whether it was people who have are hardcore followers of football who could diagnose, you know, every uh, coverage and, and, and tell you every route on the route tree or people who've just gotten caught up in the excitement of the last couple of weeks and really couldn't tell you that much more about the Bengals beyond the Joe Burrow as the quarterback. It, it just made, it made everybody happy. It just made everybody. And it brought back, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people, talk, you know, especially folks who have sort of hung in there. Um, I'm sure it, you know, Jay used the word payoff. It, it, it gave an answer to the question that a lot of people have faced over the years. Why do you still care about this team? Why do you, why does it still matter to you? Why do you still watch these games? Why do you still uh, absorb all the coverage out there of this team? Why do you still go to Paul Brown stadium? Why do you, why do you wrap yourself in a team that just doesn't give you much of a payoff? And the answer came, you know, it, it came after the Vegas game and it came after the Tennessee game and God knows it could still come, uh, on the night of the 13th, but it, it came on Sunday night. And, and I, I thought, uh, I thought about, and I'm in a bit of a weird spot because I, I said to somebody yesterday, I've, I've often felt in recent years that I, I have to turn into a different person on Sundays because this is a team that I grew up with. It's a team that I care deeply about. It's also a franchise that I've said a lot of really awful things about professionally. (laughs) Um, And in, in, in that have come from a place of uh, genuine affection for the idea of them winning games. And I, my, my relationship with the Cincinnati Bengals professionally has been very complex for a while. I've often said going to those games on Sundays means rooting for people to have success who hate my guts. And that's fine with me. That's the, the bed that I've made, but I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, God, you have to talk about the Bengals or why do you talk about the Bengals? Or don't you get tired of talking about the Bengals? Or, I mean, I, I, I had a guy call our show on a sports talk radio station two years ago, ostensibly a football fan listening to sports talk radio who called me and said, stop talking about the Bengals. And I'm like, I can't. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I, all those sort of things sort of were in my head on, on Sunday night but there was the payoff and there was the payoff for a lot of people. Uh, there was the payoff for the city. And uh, personally, you know, there was, there was the payoff for me, but it, it, it brought back a lot of emotions. And, uh, and again, that, that, that goes down as one of the happiest moments um, of my life. And, and I hope there's an even happier one uh, on February 13th. Maybe a happier one on February 13th, but this is, cause I mentioned it on the podcast, the walkout, it, it's never going to feel like this again. No, it's that climb to get there. And now that they're there, the expectations totally change. And it's, I mean, imagine if they get to the AFC championship game next year and lose, and it's, it's going to be, it's going to feel kind of like all those first round losses 
in 2011 through 2015, it's going to be that disappointment and, you know, expectations not met. It's just, this was such a, just an emotional release for so many people. And I think even more so it was that Tennessee game. I think that's, I saw more tears and more emotion after that Tennessee game where I, I think the realization people hit people that it, it could happen and that this was yeah. different. And then the, I don't know if it was a house money mindset or, or if people really thought they had a chance, but it just seemed more, more joy after beating the chiefs. Whereas after beating the Titans, it was just this massive release of pent up frustration and just emotion overflowing after that win. I think there's, you know, I think there's a couple of things that are part of that, right? I mean, there's more confidence that the team, that the fan base has developed when it wasn't just about, oh my God, will they even win one game in the playoffs and end that drought? And I, th- <laughs> it's like the confidence of Joe Burrow overflowed into the stands, you know? I mean, it's like, yeah. and then the whole, everybody kind of had that almost when they beat Tennessee of, okay, yeah, like this guy is going to do it for us. We can go in anywhere. And I th- there was almost, I'm not going to say, I mean, the amount of just being around and talking to a lot of people actually, um, that were either staying at the same hotel, we, we were near the team ho- in the team hotel, um, or around out in Kansas City. I mean, the amount of like just sheer brazen confidence that this team will go into Arrowhead and win. I think people already in their minds were thinking like tomorrow the Super Bowl, right? Like that. I it felt like that was almost a part of it. And and so when you have that, there's almost there's just a there's a great joy, but it's not the the sheer outpouring that comes from doing the unexpected. Uh, it, 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 it changed the expectations of what this team can be. And I, I, I certainly hope that it does not become something that this feels normal and that, 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 and, and you don't, people don't derive joy sort of like those playoff bursts that those Bengals teams in Marvin era had where it became like, Oh, okay. They went, they won 11 games again. the, they're just going to lose in the playoffs, right? Like, I would hope that you, there would still be joy in the process because I think that's that's part of the best part of it um, that brings out so much of the kind of civic pride that's been the coolest part to watch is just the way it's lit the city on fire and the confidence that the city kind of has had in itself and just enjoying and bringing people back together. I just think that all, you know, it's like it all, it's like everything. It all goes back to number nine. Everything yeah. goes back to number nine, bringing making everybody confident. Yeah, you know, I I, I will say this: I, I have listened to a little Kansas City Sports Talk Radio. Um, they sound like we did uh, three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, <there's>, uh, <laughs> blow it up. There, yeah, there, there's not exactly a, well, you know, it was cool. We won two years ago and you, you can't go to the Super Bowl every year. And we have Patrick Mahomes and he's in it. No, 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 no. There's there's very little of that. I, I think for a lot of us, th- the reaction to the game on Sunday had as much to do with how the game unfolded. They were down 21-3. You mm-hmm. know, this wasn't like they went into Arrowhead and steamrolled them. And, you know, the fourth quarter was a, a countdown to New Year's, you know, the, the ball dropping on New Year's Eve where – Boy, they've they've just totally you know destroyed the Kansas City Chiefs. They're down twenty one three to Patrick Mahomes in his own building. Uh, you're not supposed to win that game. Um, you're just you're not. So that is a remarkable win if it happens in Week Nine. It is insane when it happens and it vaults you to the Super Bowl. So for me, the <clears throat> there was utter joy, but the sense of disbelief had more to do with just. 
an hour and a half ago, I thought this team was going to lose 49 to three. And now they're going to the Super Bowl. Or are you kidding me? Whereas the Tennessee game for 60 minutes, I never doubted that they could win the game. Same for the Las Vegas game at 21, three. Let's be honest. We we're all confident. I think everybody would say, as long as you have number nine, you have a chance. But the, the way that offense just worked Cincinnati's defense, there are very few of us who are like, oh, yeah, we got them right where we want them. I mean, you, you could do all you want about how well they trailed this team 14 nothing a few weeks ago. I mean, I think if people are being honest, all right, great season. Let's try not to get embarrassed. And maybe they can make this a game in the fourth quarter, but I'm not going to count on it. And then there they are winning it um, to go to the Super Bowl. Are you kidding me? That's kind of for me. That's that's what in addition to all the other stuff I just talked about, that's kind of what paralyzed me. There was just this, I can't believe I just saw that outcome in that game that they were down 21, three and the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think Jay, you're right. I mean, this is, and I think you could have said this to a degree after they beat the Raiders, the conversation's different moving forward. The expectations, regardless of what happens against the Rams, the expectations moving forward are going to be that this team, uh, plays in games like this on a regular basis. And I, I've, I listen to Kansas city fans and I listen to Kansas city sports talk radio. I, I also listen to how people talk about Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger and Philip rivers. And, you know, some of these guys who only won one or two or didn't win any, but had great careers. And, you know, if 10 years from now, we're talking about the Bengals only playing in one super bowl or only winning one super bowl, uh, folks are going to talk about how underwhelming that is. And I hate that that's the case. I, I hate that that's the case because it minimizes a, how hard it is to win and b the accomplishment of actually winning. But yeah, the, the conversation moving forward is going to change. And some of that is really good. We don't have to talk about winning one stupid playoff game anymore. We don't have to have so many of these inane conversations that have been wrapped around this franchise's uh, decades uh, long run of, of futility. And that's a really good thing. And that has reinvigorated me as a fan and uh, in, in what I do for a living. At the same time, the standards are now very, very high for this franchise. And the expectations that fans have for it are going to be massive. And it's going to be interesting to see, first of all, if this team can match those expectations. And secondly, if they don't, how they're treated and ultimately how we frame what they've accomplished this year. I, I mean, I think this this year will always I mean. I, I, it struck, struck so struck me, Zach Taylor's answer when I asked him about that after the game that it was you know I, I, it was the lead of my column. It was it's just even he could admit standing in there on the stage it'll never feel this special again because you never break through a second time. And I just I think and that's 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 the thing is you'll never take this away. Like one this the moments that have happened over this month of January for this fan base, but from January second against the Chiefs the first time, you know, through through Vegas and Tennessee and this, the month of January for this franchise can never be taken away from it. And and, and for this fan base and the organization and and that's you know, uh, it's it's why you do it. It's it's why you work. It's why you do everything for years and years and years to try to build to have one month like this one. And now they hope to to bleed it over into February. But it, that's it's it's why you do it, and it's pr it's produced um, it, the most the most special month that I've seen in all my time covering this team. That's that's for sure. Mo, we will um we'll be back next week, and we'll be previewing the Super Bowl. How about I can't that? wait. That'll be fun. We'll be in there. We'll be, be talking about Bengals, Rams. You know what I'm excited about? I'm excited that we're going to have a Super Bowl, and the next day after the game, 
I won't have to do a segment about the commercials. <laughs> you think? Hope hopefully not. not. Yeah. Well, what would you think of the commercials? I mean, unless unless Bud Bowl gets trotted back out, they really should bring Bud Bowl. Back, Bud Bowl, by the way, made its debut in the yep. last Bengals Super Bowl. So I, know. I think yeah. this should bring it it's, back. It's it one be- of the things as an eight year old that I remembered most. That I remembered Stanford Jennings, thirty four seconds, and Bud Bowl. That was like my top three. Well, I remember <laughs> Bud Bowl, Stanford Jennings crying, and my mom letting me stay home from school. And, of course, now we have the obligatory debate because CPS and other school districts are letting the kids stay home. And so if folks were really, really happy and they needed something to yell and scream about, here it is. Fortunately, (laughs) I, I won't be having those discussions. No, I did enjoy it. Just a one last moment in the ultimate this year is different in that in the history of this franchise is gone. There was a moment, Jay, that I turned to you when they were right down there near the goal line, Kansas City at the end of the fourth quarter. There were 39 seconds left and I was trying to calculate mm. the math in my head. And I was like, OK, they run one play. It could be a touchdown. I was like, about five seconds. What would that put on the clock? 34 seconds. Are they going to score a touchdown with 34 seconds left? You've got to be kidding me. And I was like, what yard line are they on? Is it the same one as Rice? And it was like one of those freaky moments and then it just I think they got a sack on that plane it didn't happen and it was like wow the the setup for it to be history again was right there and it wasn't and it goes back to the phrase like the title of the book right this feels different. I, uh, the title I did, of the Bengals book would be this feels different I did something similar in the Vegas game so they got the ball with 334 to go and I remember 34 seconds left in Super Bowl 23 I could not recall the exact time that the 49ers drive started. And I thought for a second it might have been 334. So I frantically on my phone next to Salad Lady in Wichita, who didn't hear from her, unfortunately. <laughs> I hope she was thinking of me on Sunday night. Flyer down. But I, I yeah, I I frantically, I frantically went back Super Bowl 23 last drive. It started at 310. So I was I was like on the verge of sending the like, you know, 334 left, please not again, something like that. And it didn't work out. But yeah, thirty-four. <laughs> they scored with thirty-four seconds left. That one would have. That one would have stung a little bit. All right, Mo. Uh, I will see you this afternoon on ESPN fifteen thirty, and we'll be back here on the podcast next week. I look forward to it, guys. Thank you. All right, great to uh, chat with Mo. As we just kind of we just kind of let that thing flow into a number of different directions. <laughs> there's plenty of pl- there's plenty of topics to go down into. Uh, let's. We would be remiss, Jay, if we didn't. Give a little first look to the Super Bowl here. Uh, We have many, many hours um, (laughs) of podcasting to do between now and the Super Bowl. And there will be, we will not be the only one out there. Everyone on the globe will be previewing the Super Bowl over the next two weeks. So you will have no shortage of content. But inside from the Bengals stuff on a first look, what was your first reaction to the Rams beating the Niners and this being the matchup that landed in L.A.? Uh, just, well, number one, the unbelievable bad interception from Jimmy Garoppolo that, that got the Rams there. And then the, the, the dropped interception. I mean, I, you know, it tortured Lewis Billups, his drop in the end zone in, in Super Bowl 23 for if, if he, the tart makes that interception, they, they probably, it's probably Bengals 49ers three. Um, it, you see this a lot where, and I think we talked about it even where teams that, that win it all always have that, that one moment where something crazy happens and they get a break and they overcome it. 
and that might be it for the Rams. Um, the, the other thing that hit me immediately was they they came the Bengals came up with a plan for Patrick Mahomes. I don't know what scheme or what what they could possibly throw out. How are they going to stop Aaron Donald? I mean, this <laughs> it, it just that is the weak spot on this team is the yep. interior of the of the offensive line, and Aaron Donald is one of the greatest players of all time. And I, I think that is is going to be really interesting to see how they they mitigate that because he's he can be a game wrecker. He 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 they played him two years ago in London, saw up close what he can do. Zach coached there; he knows what he can do. I think if you're a Bengals fan and you are, if you're listening to this podcast, that is your number one concern in the Super Bowl is what they're going to do with Aaron Donald. It's funny. I mean, you know, Zach told the anecdote the other day about how, yeah, um, we wrote Remember When on the whiteboard because we were sitting there planning for L.A. at one in the morning. They were going to be going to London, not knowing how in the world they're ever going to get a yard and stop Aaron Donald. And normally they have the whole call sheet done and they hadn't done anything because they just sat there knowing they have no way to get a yard and stop Aaron Donald. So remember when this was the case and we'll look back on this. Well, it's very much a remember when and there's a very nice nostalgic storyline there that will be told probably again numerous outlets over the next couple of weeks about that. I still don't know that they're any more capable to stop Aaron Donald today than they were two years ago. <laughs> like it's not like you feel better because Akeem Adeniji and Jackson Carmen are going to be there. You know, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to line Aaron Donald up on the outside against Jonah Williams. They, you know exactly where Aaron Donald's going to spend all day. And it's just, it's been the one thing that has been so tough for the, this team to overcome. It's their one, it's their weakest spot against not just the Rams' strength, the strongest strength any team has on mm. any defense in the National Football League. He's the, I think he, you could make an art, he's the best, most, most game changing non quarterback in the NFL, has been for a while. I was texting with somebody yesterday. I said, he gets my vote for Defensive Player of the Year every year. He has, and he will probably till he hangs him up. Nobody changes games. Nothing changes games more than a defensive tackle that can do totally uh, you know, game-wrecking things, and he does it at every level, at the highest of every level. He's just a total nightmare for this team. And then you throw in Von Miller and and everybody else that they have too over there. Um, it's it, it's it, it's going to be the storyline of the next two weeks. Is how do they stop Aaron Donald? I mean, I don't think this was not the best matchup. Mm-hmm. San Francisco and Jimmy Garoppolo finding a way to beat the Rams was what they wanted, um, and because they they won they were right there with the 49ers really felt like they should have won that game and figured some things out in the second half of that game so you have confidence in that and but you don't have confidence that you know how to stop anybody like Aaron Donald up the middle and and so we'll see how that plays out of course the next week i think the other side jay is i do think there's a weakness on strength aspect and that is matt stafford's propensity for throwing interceptions and this team's ability to get turnovers in the playoffs. You know, six turnovers every single game has ended with the, the last defensive play for the Bengals being an interception. Um, you wonder if that could be the case again. Stafford throws it away. He 
he gives you chances. It's kind of been the thing where people are like, yee, Stafford, er, during this whole last month or two. And uh, he's made a lot of big plays, but they have put themselves in major holes, caused all kinds of crazy situations because of their ability to turn it over too much. And the Bengals have won games because of those turnovers. So you wonder if that will be the way that the Bengals can win this game. The Rams haven't exactly played a clean road to the playoffs. Anybody that watched them against the Bucks nearly blow that thing uh, mm-hmm. knows exactly the kind of holes and, and that they can put themselves in. And, and they did it against San Francisco too. They put themselves down 10. So it's not like – I mean, again, I said this before the Chiefs game – Going and winning in Arrowhead was going to be harder than anything the Super Bowl was going to be from a strictly football standpoint. I still feel that way. Um, so anybody that's thinking, oh, yeah, Rams got this in the bag is is crazy. I don't care, no matter the Aaron Donald mismatch or not. And, I mean, you mentioned the interceptions. The, the, the Bengals have it, – it's, it's not just Stafford making bad decisions. Look at the some of the picks. Mike Hilton tips a ball. B.J. Hill tips a ball. Jesse Bates tips it to Von Bell. They, they they've found ways to get get picks just by getting their hands on balls. And the the one thing that is you wonder about Odell Beckham it really kind of seems to be coming on since since he came over from the Browns. But that was always the case with him and Baker. Is Baker couldn't trust him to always run the right route and be in the right spot. And if 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 he's if he freelances at all, if if the Bengals are playing well and their little frustration gets in there and there's freelancing, a pass could go where it's not, where Odell's not supposed to be. I I do think it was the it's going to be kind of the same thing as the Chiefs game where I felt like the Bengals were either going to force three turnovers or they were going to commit three turnovers, and however that played out is how that game would play out, and that's going to be the case here. They they are gonna have to get a couple. To, to have a chance to beat the Rams. Sure, and they have. I mean, it's been the mm-hmm. way they've won, and they haven't turned it over. You know, the one Burrow interception was really the only one that's kind of been his fault uh, going back to the Chargers game. I mean, he's played so almost flawlessly in that respect of not making the uh, the bad throw, whereas Stafford has made a few of those, and you, you would think that could be the way this game could flip. Uh, we have plenty more time, and we will talk to a million people and, and everything about Bengals, Rams, and the Super Bowl and breaking that down, so look forward to getting to that as we keep going forward. Um, growler bet. Uh, our growler bet was which team – and how long will be the longest play from scrimmage in the game against the Chiefs? Well, guess what? Both the Bengals and the Chiefs tied with a 44-yard long. So everybody was in. All you had to do was nail the number. Really backfired on us there, Jay. Really backfired on us. And guess what? Andy backs. You nailed it. 44 yards for the Bengals was your guess. And so you get the you are the winner of delicious, delicious 50 West beer. And we will get with you on how to collect that here in the near future. A bunch of so closes uh within within a couple, but Andy, the only one to nail it. So congrats to you. All right, run passer boots. How did our run passer boots play out? Yeah, we had two of them, and uh this first one we both got right. It was who would have the most the highest yards per reception. Would it be Jamar Chase? Would it be Tyreek Hill or other? And we both ran with other, and it was other. It was Nicole Hardman with a 17.3, uh, dusting Tyreek Hill's 11.1 and Jamar Chase's 9.0. So that one, I think we all, I, I thought maybe it would be uh, one catch for 50, something like that. Uh, that's why I went other. Um, and, and T. Higgins had a, a big day as well. 
but it was. It came down to 17.3 for other, and we both hit it. The second run passer boot was what will be greater, Bengals rushing yards, Chiefs rushing yards, or turnovers times 50. And it was turnover. There was three turnovers. So 150 on the turnovers. Chiefs rushed for 139. Bengals rushed for 116. Um, I ran with turnovers. You ran with Chiefs rushing yards. So I, I got I got that one. I've hit four straight run passer boots. I'm on fire there. Even though I wow. can't pick a game to save my life, you did I, pick uh, this one correctly, though. You picked Bengals over Chiefs, correct? No, I picked Chiefs. 37. Oh, yeah, 30, you picked the blowout. You picked you picked them. To yeah, 10 points. 10, so. Yeah. I got the Bengals score right. I said 37-27. I just didn't think they were going to hold the Chiefs to 24. I don't think anybody did. No. Uh, all right, so that wraps up our run pass. Rich, again, congratulations to, to Andy Bax on winning the Growler bet. Uh, we'll get to that. Um, we've got, of course, we have live room coming this week. We'll have uh, n- another podcast. Other events are planned. Very excited. And eventually we'll get out to LA next week and have a ton of special content for you coming from beautiful Los Angeles. Dust off the dust off the shorts and the uh, flip-flops, Jay. We get a little, <laughs> we're going to warm up a little bit. I'm all for it. Yeah, it should be great. Looking forward to it. So we'll keep just keep an eye out on Twitter uh, for all the plans for, for the stuff we're going to have going on with the podcast. I think you're going to like it. We've got, got some big things in the works. So, all right. Thanks, everybody, uh, for listening. Hope you all are uh, fully recovered from the weekend, and uh, we will talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody. Bye.